Hey, hey, remarkable people. This is Tracy Robbins King, and you are listening to the Thy Neighbor Podcast. Today, I am switching things up. You will hear the first half of Sarah Whitley's interview, and next week, you will hear the questions. I hope you enjoy it. And of course, if you feel inspired by this interview and you think of somebody, please share it with them. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe. Sarah Whitley is a single mother of one adorable girl. She is also a committed follower of Jesus Christ. She is an art teacher and has been in the profession for the last 13 years. She is a patient and loving mother and a wonderful person and friend. I am so excited to have her on the podcast today. Welcome, Sarah. Tell us how you became an art teacher. Oh, you know, I had a really hard time deciding on a major when I went to college. Um, I had done some AP classes in high school and was excited to just go to college and pick a variety of elective courses. Um, But then with time, it kind of backfired because I had so many credits and I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. So I ended up going on a mission kind of in the interim. um, And I wanted to come straight back to school at BYU-Idaho after my mission. Um, I was serving in Chile at the time. Chile, and I needed to um, sign up for classes to return for the semester, Um, but I needed to register for the classes while I was still on my mission, Um, and I was having a really hard time deciding, and I had a companion, and she just very, we had talked out some stuff, and she just very nonchalantly said, well, you like kids, and you like art. Why don't you teach art? And for the first time, it was something that didn't scare me. I think I was afraid. I had fear making a big commitment to a, a major and a course of Um, action in my life. And it just kind of felt at peace about it. And so that's what I moved forward with. And here I am 13 years later. Teaching the art, man, making people's lives so much better. I feel like every kid's favorite class is art class. (laughs) Some, not when they have to. Not all of them. Some of the kids are like, I don't want to do this. Yes. Rather be in PE. So, you know, it's a give and take. It is a give and take. We are going to talk about your marriage. And so we're going to start off and dive into what happened there. And I'm going to let you just take it from here. Okay, awesome. So I am currently a single mom. I am divorced and my ex-husband has passed away at this point, um, just recently within the past few months. I'm LDS, was single in the church, went to lots of single wards for lots of years and then in my early 30s, um, I met this man and I was super excited. He was a new convert to the church and he was just on fire with the gospel. Um, I met him one time prior to his baptism. And then after he had gotten baptized, we started dating. Um, it was kind of miraculous how things fell into place for him to find the gospel and find the church. Um, and he was just very excited to start out this new path in life. Um, I think I was drawn immediately to his enthusiasm about life, his enthusiasm about the gospel, about this new course. Um, He had had a pretty rough background in childhood. He had struggled with some addiction, and I knew parts of that. I guess I didn't really understand what that fully entailed, but I just remember feeling excited about the direction that our lives could go together. And so we uh, dated for a little while, um, ended up deciding to get married And I remember in the the course of this, I had prayed to Heavenly Father, and I just remember asking him, you know, I feel at peace dating him. We've talked about marriage. I feel at peace about it. Should I marry him? Like, this is kind of high risk, and I'm not a risk taker at all. I like to play it safe. It's kind of my personality. I've (laughs) 
it's just how I am. And so this seemed like a huge risk. I knew parts of his life, but I, I learned a lot more after the fact. So at the time when I prayed and I just said, Heavenly Father, should I marry him or not? And the answer was not a yes or a no. It didn't come back in that way. It came back as a question. And it was a very distinct voice. And it just said, do you believe in the atonement? And I thought, oh, of course I do. I've gone to church. I read my scriptures. You know, I served a mission. I believe in the atonement. And, uh, and I thought that meant at the time that that meant his past life he has baptized, he's forgiven of everything, and we've got this great future. And yes, I believe in the atonement, and I can trust that things will work out according to my plan. Um, and so that's kind of how it started. We got married a few months after that. It, I guess it was probably pretty quick in the whole scheme of things, but I felt really at peace even on our wedding day. I just felt very comfortable. I felt at ease. I didn't have cold feet whatsoever, and I just was, here we go, jumping in head first. We got married. Um, I had known that he had one child um, prior to this um, from a previous relationship and that that child also had brothers from the same mom. I later found out more than one of his one were his children. So he ended up having two kids and the youngest was only wasn't even three at the time. So the youngest was pretty young. And after we got married and he started this new course of life with the gospel, he was really excited to get things in order. And that meant he had a lot of things from his past he needed to clean up. Some of it meant legal issues. Some of it meant paying fines. Some of it meant working to get his parental rights back to his kids. And so he was really gung-ho about straightening out his life and getting access to his kids again. And I was really supportive of that. He was working really hard. And I saw the effort that he was making. I trusted that he trusted God and that it was going to be okay. So a lot of my trust was in him, in his relationship with God at the time. Um, so he, yeah, was working really hard. Um, at the time he went back to Wisconsin, which is where he was living previously. And we lived apart for about six months while he got some stuff straightened out back there, including stuff for his children. So he ended up getting custody of the kids, things with their mom kind of turned into a debacle while he was out there. And suddenly with the social worker and the situation, he was the first pick for these kids. And so in a very short amount of time, he got custody of the kids and they were to move out here to Utah with us. And so he brought with him um, three boys after we'd been married for six months, lived apart for six months. And then by the year mark, he brought back three kids, ages three, the youngest had turned three by then, I want to say eight and 10. And so they were these three boys who had had quite a bit already that they'd gone through in their short little lives. Um, a lot of instability and a lot of parents being in and out of their lives, including my ex-husband. Um, so here he was making this full force to kind of repair things, make things right. And yeah, and it just got us somewhat over our heads in responsibility that we were not anticipating. Uh, he, during this time, had also, while he was out of state, was preparing to go to the temple. He took a temple prep class. He was active. He had the missionaries teaching the boys. He was so excited to raise these kids with the gospel and within the church. He was excited for the youngest, or not the youngest, but the oldest one to be able to serve a mission. Um, and he just was doing everything he possibly could um, to make this 
a reality to make our future life that we talked about a reality. But once the boys got here, we had a, another set of struggles come along. He had some back issues that resurfaced. Um, he did construction. And so back issues played quite a bit into his work on a day-to-day basis. We had struggles with the boys, behavior issues. We're trying to get our footing as a family, financial stuff. Um, he was working on paying back debts from previously. He was working, but we just really hadn't figured out a solid budget. This for him was the most stable time of his life. And for me, it felt like absolute chaos because I had been providing for myself as a single adult for quite a while. Um, And suddenly we were a family of five and things just felt kind of out of control for me. Um, So we were both on different pages as far as our level of comfort with the chaos, but we were working to try to find our footing. Not long after that, I did get pregnant. So he came back, we got sealed in the temple. I forgot to mention that. So he'd been doing all this temple prep work, came back to Salt Lake. We got sealed had the kids. I got pregnant, Um, but life just was kind of chaotic. And so in his past life, his way of dealing with stress and chaos was to escape it, to run away and turn to substances as a way of numbing out his feelings. So it was his coping mechanism that he had learned actually from his dad. His dad at a very young age had decided it would be fun to party with his son and had kind of initiated this process of addiction. So from a young age, he had used, and then suddenly he found himself going back to those habits while we were this family of five. And as a parent, he was struggling. He was doing the best he could. He felt all these new expectations within the church. He felt new expectations as a parent. He'd been kind of in and out of the kids' life and not consistent. And suddenly he was solely responsible for them in a different way. And so he fell back into these old habits of using in order to escape that reality and to numb out the feelings of pain, of inadequacy, of shame that he felt for letting us down at that point. He had used and relapsed. I found out about it. I confronted him on it. And uh, I remember him admitting at one point, he just said, I'm sorry, I know you didn't sign up for this. And I just wanted so badly for things to go back to the way they were to believe that we could get back to this course and this path that we had started on together with this end goal and vision, this vision that we had for our future, but things just quickly went downhill. Uh, So the money that he previously was using to help support our little family started going solely to drugs. It put us in some awkward situations As far as I learned a lot about addiction and the world of drugs and how you get drugs and where they're at and, you know, how they're delivered and where he shows up places and has his dealer. And and so there was just a lot of ins and outs to this world that I didn't know. And I felt my little world falling apart as this young LDS woman who had served a mission and just had tried so hard to be faithful in all these ways, expecting these specific blessings to come with a family and my little family was falling apart and there was not a lot I could do about it. I prayed and prayed and prayed that he would change, that he would, that we could fix the situation. I had this end in mind of what I wanted. And I just prayed so hard that he could recover, that he would find recovery. And he just wasn't as interested in it as I was. For him, he got the best of both worlds. He got to use and numb out all his feelings of inadequacy, but still could come home to a family and a wife and his kids. 
But pretty soon these two worlds just collided and it became worse and worse and worse. So we kind of found ourselves in the thick of more debt, struggling to meet the bills each week. I took on a lot of responsibility that wasn't mine, but it's the only thing I knew how to do at the time to make ends meet, to hold this little family together that I was desperately trying to keep. And eventually things fell apart. After about a year and a half, he agreed to go to treatment and it was a struggle to even get him. Um, Some things fell in place where we were able to get some financial help with that. He had also been on probation from previous stuff. And so we had worked with his probation officer. His officer was awesome, willing to work with him, help him. But my husband just didn't follow through with what he needed to. And so between detox and relapse, and just continual use. Um, We finally got him into treatment about a year and a half after he had relapsed. Um, And at that point, I was pretty burnt. I didn't know (laughs) if this could work or not. I wanted things so badly to work out, and I just didn't know if they were going to. I felt pretty hopeless in the situation. I had cried and cried and cried, felt like a single mom raising a teenage son as my husband instead of a husband or a helpmeet. And then these other three boys and I was pregnant. So by the year and a half mark, I had a newborn baby and um, we finally got him. He agreed to go to treatment. Um, With that, it was the most hopeful situation. There was a lot going on. He wasn't convinced he wanted to go. Had a couple of times where he ran away the first couple of days, which was also crazy. So just the ups and downs within even finding treatment and then getting him to stay in treatment. Um, He just, he was afraid to confront his issues. He was afraid to confront the things inside of him that he'd been running from for so long. And so um, he eventually committed to stay for the entire time. It was an inpatient program. And while he was in inpatient, the clinical therapist who works with the men at this residential treatment center, um, she ran a group for family members. Um, so whether it be parents or spouses, if the men were in this residential treatment center, family members could come. Um, it was a pretty small and intimate group. And I was very excited to go. I was excited to figure out what to do to help my husband, to fix him, to make the situation better. Um, and I was a little disappointed, I guess, the first night when I showed up and um, wanted to share and be validated in my feelings of anger and frustration and wanting to fix him. And uh, she immediately pointed out that we are not here, not necessarily to me, but just in general for the, the rules of the, uh, the norms, that we were not to talk about our loved ones, that we were there to focus on our own issues and our own struggles, um, that if we were married to someone or were the parent of someone who was an addict, then we were at the same level of emotional suppression as they were. We just numbed out our feelings in other ways. Um, And it was kind of a hard pill to swallow. It wasn't what I wanted to hear. I was there to be validated in my anger and frustration. And instead, she wanted me to confront my own issues. (laughs) Um, She would often say that the men were our salt throwers, that they would rub salt into those wounds, but those wounds were already there before they came along. And so, yeah, it was a definite paradigm shift. I remember leaving that night. My husband called me after group. And so I talked to him on the way home. And while he was still in treatment, they could call. Um, every once in a while or weekly. And so he saved his calls so that he could call after I left group and we could talk about it. And I just remember being upset and feeling like I was this horrible person because my approach to helping him was not actually helpful. 
And I didn't understand all the ins and outs of it, but I wasn't willing to confront my own issues. So basically I was just like my husband, right? He was numbing out his, but then I was numbing out mine in different ways. My way of numbing out was trying to fix him and to focus on him rather than myself, which I'm realizing and learning is actually a pretty common thing amongst people in general is we avoid what's inside of us so that we focus on things outside of us instead. So with this, we talked and I just remember being so upset and he was reassuring and he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, he just kind of agreed and I didn't want to go back, but I was so drawn to go back to this group. It was the only thing that I felt like I had. I'd, we'd exhausted all our resources, but I, I needed to go back and I just felt this pulling to go back. And so in the process, I was open to learning. I think I'd been so desperate and so hopeless in the situation and realizing that what I had done was obviously not working. And so God had a different plan and I was open and responsive to what I was being taught. So she talked about the 12 steps. Um, They have the men work the 12 steps and it's the 12 steps from Alcoholics Anonymous. So there's a sister program called Al-Anon, which is also for family members where the family members work the same 12 steps as those struggling with addiction. And so she talked about these as being the practical daily application of the atonement of Jesus Christ, that they were the steps for applying the atonement and broken down into simple ways for us to do that. She talked about codependency and our own personal wounds and just our struggles that light attracts light. And so if we're attracted to someone with addiction, then we are at the same level. So there were lots of hard pills to swallow, but they ended up being this game changer for me. I suddenly shifted my focus from my husband, not suddenly, it was a process, um, and his problems to my own problems. And for as crazy as it sounds, it was probably the most empowering shift within me. Suddenly I had control over something and that was myself. I had control over how I responded to things. I had control over my own wounds and the effort that I was putting in and energy that I was putting into healing those wounds. She had us write and journal. She talked about how we get so caught up in our head. And most of the time we are acting out of our thoughts and our head and our logic. Um, But the truth is those wounds are wounds of the heart. They're emotional wounds. Um, And addiction is really a disease of the emotions, that it's numbing out those emotions and not being allowed to feel and not knowing how to feel. And so she's like, you guys need to do the same thing. You need to learn how to feel. And you're only going to be aware of what your actual feelings are if you start writing. She describes it as the connection from your heart, that whatever's in your heart comes down your arm and into the pen and onto the paper. Um, And that it is this release and this ability to start to see what's inside our hearts that maybe we've been numbing out and not able to see. Uh, So I began writing quite a bit. She would have us write prayers. Um, She recommended writing Dear Heavenly Father and writing out our feelings um, and just writing out whatever's coming up. Um, And so that became a huge release for me. I felt I had a lot of weight and a lot of responsibilities and not very many people understood the thick of the situation that I found myself in. People would have thought I was crazy if I tried to describe it or tried to fix the problem by just telling me to do this or telling me to do that. But I really just needed to be heard and understood. Um, And I didn't have a place that I could go to. So my writing became that place. I could write out whatever was on my heart. I could write to my heavenly father. And in the process, it helped me connect with him in different ways. By this point, I had lost my ability to trust myself. I really struggled 
to trust my own decision-making power. I had thought that I had made these decisions, that I had followed revelation in getting married, and suddenly my life was not what I expected it to be. And so it was a lot of turning to God in a way that I needed to learn to hear him again. I needed to listen to his voice, and I needed to be able to understand what it was that he was telling me. And so sometimes she had us write, and then once we'd written for 10 or 15 minutes, she would have us sit in silence, put our hands on our hearts, close our eyes, and just listen. And then we would take out the pen again and just start writing whatever came to us. And I've realized this is one of the ways that Heavenly Father speaks back to me, that when I'm willing to quietly listen, he will dictate and I can write those words out. And it's been this amazing way that I've been able to receive revelation and it feels tangible to me. I can look at it. It's not just a thought. It's not just a passing feeling, but as I write these words down, I can refer back to them. And it was kind of this amazing process of learning to listen to God again and to learn that I could receive revelation to learn to trust myself in that process. So it turned into quite the growing experience as I learned to turn to God again. She had us focus a lot on our own codependency. We read this book called Codependent No More. And so it just talked about codependency. And the first time I read the book, I started reading it and I hated the book. I didn't want to identify myself as a codependent. And I remember getting so frustrated, I hit it and I didn't want to read it. So with time, it took several months and I pulled the book back out and decided to reread it. And when I did, it was this full recognition that, yes, I was a codependent <laughs> and I didn't want to admit it to myself before, but I fully was a codependent. Um, and what that meant was I had my own wounds and my own level of shame that I carried, that I didn't feel like I was worthy, that I didn't feel like I was lovable. And then that manifested in the ways that I interacted and related to other people around, around me. So it's kind of a relational addiction, I guess we can put it that way. Um, but it did mean that rather than confronting what was in my own heart, I was seeking outside sources. So I thought I would just be happy if dot, 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 if the kids cleaned the house, if the kids behaved better, I would just be happy if my husband wasn't an addict, or I would just be happy if he would come to church with me, or I would just be happy. Um, but I recognized that my happiness depended so much on outside sources, which I had no control over. Um, and so she really helped us in the group identify our own codependent tactics. So these manifest in a variety of ways. They manifest in people-pleasing, in perfectionism. They manifest in addiction or numbing out those feelings of low self-worth, um, but that we each have different ways that our codependency manifests. And so it became quite eye-opening as I recognized my own codependent tendencies and that, yes, I did have wounds that I needed healing. And so she taught us that we needed to start taking care of ourselves, um, that it wasn't selfish to do that, that it really meant that we needed to love and take care of ourselves um, in the way that God would. He loves us, right? We are his divine children. And yet so often we, we don't fully understand what that means. And so this, this process um, changed me. It changed the way that I responded to my husband. It also meant that in some ways I began to outgrow him, that he wasn't seeking healing and I was, and suddenly we were on different pages entirely. Um, and it, it became a real struggle. It was a point of contention, which there was lots of contention. So that was nothing new, <laughs> um, but it definitely um, took some different turns. 
in my life and led me to really seek out that healing and to seek out a deeper, a much deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. My husband, he ended up with some legal issues and obviously drug issues. There's some things that come into play and he was breaking probation and some other stuff. And so he ended up being incarcerated and that became the biggest blessing. It kind of removed him from the middle of the mix and allowed me to focus a little bit more on my healing. Uh, he was incarcerated and a lot of the, the struggles that he had before were back in Wisconsin and he'd taken care of stuff until he relapsed. And then those same issues and same um, problems that he hadn't fully dealt with resurfaced. And so he was transferred out of state to Wisconsin and I still had the boys for a while. Um, by this point, one of the boys had gone back to live with their mom in the process, but I still had two of them and this, and a, a, my daughter, our daughter. Um, and so um, it became this huge blessing as he was removed from the situation and my healing could take a little bit more effect within our family. Ultimately, with the separation, I decided that I needed to file for separation. It didn't quite pan out the way I needed to. And then by the time I switched lawyers partway through and it, um, by the time it came to terms, I, I decided I needed to get a divorce. Um, I know he was trying, but I, I, I couldn't see the changes that I needed to change for this relationship to work for me. Um, so I began to start to put my own needs first in a way that it, I could see the red flags and I could start setting boundaries. And those boundaries were not well responded to. He didn't like me setting boundaries previously. You know, he had a certain level of control. And when I <laughs> was standing up for myself and putting myself first, um, it kind of thwarted some of the things that he had become comfortable with. And so things shifted in our relationship, but I recognized that choosing myself um, became the biggest game changer because I couldn't go back to something that I couldn't love myself fully through. Um, and the way that the, our relationship was, it, it couldn't function under the circumstances that it was then under. Um, it, was a, it was a tough decision to decide to get divorced. It took a long time. It took a lot of releasing guilt and shame um, and talking to Heavenly Father and writing out my prayers. Um, I also had to come to a level of forgiveness that I've never had to do before. Um, there was so many wounds within our, our marriage, our marriage had become quite toxic. Um, and I, I felt like the martyr in the situation. Um, ultimately I wasn't, I had volunteered for this. I had chosen to marry him and I needed to own up to my responsibilities within that. Um, but there were definitely a lot of things that had transpired that hurt. I had felt abandoned in the situation. Um, I, we were on different pages with parenting and it led to a lot of conflict and, um, so there was a lot that I needed to forgive myself for and to forgive him for. And in that process, I recognized that I needed to start writing out some letters to Christ as well, that I had written to Heavenly Father to communicate with him. But this was something that I needed to fully turn over to Christ and I needed to hash it out with him. Um, and so I was able to give him write out and hand over some of my anger that would come in waves and frustration. And um, it it was a long it has been a long process. Um, I have a sponsor who's talked me through <laughs> multiple things in relation to forgiveness. And, and she has helped me as I've worked these steps, um, as well as I still attend this group with the uh, clinical therapist that initially got me on this path. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a game changer for my life. I'm a different person in how I respond to things and what I focus on and how I parent my daughter now. Um, eventually the boys went back to live with their mom. I didn't have any legal rights to the, the boys and I kept them through the end of the school year um, and then um, flew them back. So, so, you know, life has not turned out the way I planned. I got married thinking this was going to be my eternal family and was excited to build that with him. And it, it just didn't work, you know, um, just one other quick story. And then I'll let you kind of interject with questions or whatever. I, the day that we were getting sealed, we, he had come back from Wisconsin. It had been kind of crazy. There was a big snowstorm. Um, the case, um, for the hearing, um, in relation to him getting custody had been postponed a little bit. Um, so, They'd come out for Christmas. We had to go back to Wisconsin um, so that he could get full legal custody um, and then bring the boys out. And with that, um, he had been preparing to go to the temple. We had set a date to get sealed. And so we made it just back. We made it back in time. (laughs) It was like a crazy, crazy day. We made it back early enough that we could make it to the temple that afternoon to him for him to get his endowments. And then for me the next day to um, get sealed to him or for us to get sealed. Um, And so uh, we did it, we made it. And while we were at the temple on that Saturday for the ceiling, I just was in the bride's room and I had my dress on and I heard that voice again, um, the same voice that asked if I believed in the atonement. And this time, um, it just very distinctly said, this is not going to last. And I questioned it. I thought, what on earth? This is crazy. Like I'm here in the temple to be sealed to this man. He's done all this work. I believe in the atonement. We're going to raise this little family. Um, but I am so grateful for those words that came at that time. Um, because when it came down to it, and I finally was in a place where I was willing to let go of the expectations I had for my life and to recognize that maybe this wouldn't work. And it's maybe the best thing for me to get a divorce at this point. Um, it was so reassuring that God had seen all that, that he knew that in advance. Um, and he just gave me this little snippet for me to have that planted in the back of my mind. Um, going into it, I didn't have any doubts and I was fully committed. But when it came down to it, our relationship couldn't function under the circumstances we found ourselves in. Um, it wasn't healthy and it wasn't the best for anybody involved at that point. Um, and so I was so grateful um, for that revelation that had come at that time that that it wasn't going to last. And I was okay at that point to let go when I needed to. Um, so I just, Heavenly Father's amazing. He sees the end from the beginning. Um, we have a Heavenly Mother and I've reconnected with her through this process of finding my own divine worth as a female, my f- divine femininity, um, as well as with Jesus Christ and that they are our biggest fans. They are there to cheer us on. And we are this little intimate family, just, you know, the four of us individually with our own way, you know, as a, individually, um, we all have that. They, we have these little, we can have these little family meetings with them and just throw out whatever we need to get off our chest. And they're not afraid of our emotions. They're not afraid of us having fears or questioning things or not knowing what to do. They're just right there along with us in the process. They don't abandon us. They don't jump ship. Um, they're just, they're just there waiting for us to come to them whenever we need to. And I am just so grateful for that. 